Good morning and happy Sabbath, everyone. I'll be reading from King James Version. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, nor do they spin. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or how we'll be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all things." But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That text for today has quite a setting there in the Beatitudes. Jesus' counsel, largely in Matthew, about kingdom life. And, of course, the concluding exhortation, seek first the kingdom of God, and then what? Everything's added to you. What a challenging priority. That seems simple enough, doesn't it? Yes, no. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? But a little closer examination, it's not particularly simple, is it? Because I would suggest that most of us struggle greatly to understand at times the kingdom. It it goes counterintuitively and counterculturally in our lives. And secondly, what it takes to dedicate oneself to its pursuit often doesn't fit the rest of our lives, does it? See, we're pretty plugged in. We're plugged in to our society and to our culture. We watch the news or listen to some version of it. Maybe your news is full of spin. Maybe your news seeks to be objective. But news comes with its gloom and its doom and its prognostications that are rarely optimistic or helpful. Right? We're pretty plugged in. We're in the world, but not of it, and yet what that really means is sometimes very vague and very hard to know. I'm a minister of the gospel, and someday I'm going to be too old to be effective in this work. God will have something else for me, but I'll need to take a break. I'll need to retire, and there'll need to be a way for me to live in that retirement. Will there be Social Security? 30 years from now? Will 
my investments, such as they are, survive this incredible week and the weeks to come? Hard to say. Are we at a time that fulfills prophecy and we should have been ready for the day, having bought gold refined in the fire and realizing that our property and our money will be worth nothing and living in agrarian locations where we can farm our own fruits and vegetables. How many of you have succeeded at all of that? Losers. Just kidding. I think I have a a lemon tree and a tangerine tree, so I will uh, at least not get rickets for part of the year. You listen to the text today, though, and it really, it's, it's a profound contradiction, isn't it? It doesn't really matter whether the Dow Jones Industrials fell 700 points or the S&P 500 is at its lowest point since 2003 or, uh, I mean, okay, it matters. I've lost lots of money, too. But in the context of today's text and the worry-free economics of God, what he says is God takes care of his creatures and you are the creature created in his image and more precious to him than all of these. And if he looks out for the bird of the air, if he looks out for the flower of the field and the grass that comes up and withers and dies, if there's provision for creation, then why wouldn't there be even greater provision for you? Now, it's a a stretch because the type of economy in which we live, the social structures of our existence are highly concentrated in urban areas where specialization of the workforce and currency, monetary systems, allow us to live. This is a highly evolved system that we're part of. It requires us to trust that paper conveys value and worth. It requires that in exchange for the hours and days of our lives, we accept a certain amount of that paper pre-agreed upon. That in exchange for that paper, goods and services produced elsewhere will somehow be shipped to where we are and made available at prices that we can somehow manage in order to live. We've packed ourselves together so tightly that there's really little more than an herb garden, most of us could manage, let alone live on. And because of our specialization, we're really good at computers, but we never really developed that green thumb. We're an expert in dietary science, but we didn't really perfect ag techniques. We're musicians, scholars, business people. We know how to buy and sell. We know market economy. But we're far, far, far from the agrarian model 
of the early United States and certainly the more agrarian models and trade models of the time in which Jesus lived and wrote. So you can say, well, that's fine, Jesus. I'm, I appreciate what you've said about not worrying, but I'm not exactly close to fields and vineyards. Gleaning isn't really an option. If I don't get a paycheck, I don't have money. If I don't have money, I can't go buy food. If I can't go buy food and I go to the local pantry and it has nothing, I go hungry. I don't live in an extended clan of family on a divided and inherited parcel of land. I live in an apartment that I rent and my family lives with me and it's just the one or two or three of us. The rest of my family is in Ohio or Virginia, South Carolina. And when we think about the logistics of our world, it, it brings about even greater anxiety. What, what's, what's happening? What does all this mean? Just an aside here, it's why true community in church is so important. It's, it's why being able to help and support one another becomes really vital in times of stress, difficulty. But we want to challenge the text, don't we? Is that, that's where I've been headed. Did you hear that? We want to say, really, Jesus? D do you mean it? Seek first the kingdom and all these things are going to be added? Because he reminds us that no matter how much as a teenager I wanted to reach six feet, there was really no way to force nature to give me that. Five, ten, and three quarters, boom, the end, done. And now I think I've lost a quarter of an inch or more. Anybody shrinking? Oh, it really, it's no good. I don't know what nature's doing, but I'm not as tall as I was 20 years ago, that's for sure. Nature didn't help me. All of the anticipating, all of the desire, I want to be six feet tall, I'm going to be six feet tall, didn't do a darn thing for me, did it? Any of you have that experience? And how many of you, like me, look at yourselves in the mirror and go, I want to be 30 pounds less? <laughs> you can raise your hands. I need community on this one. I need fellowship on this one. I need support on this one. Of course, 30 pounds less would be great, and all the wishful thinking in the world doesn't make it so. Work and starvation make it so. And just building again, he says, and think about these birds and these flowers. Don't they look glorious? When I was in Nicaragua, we had lunch on Sabbath on a lake. Lake Nicaragua. It's the only freshwater lake in the world that has sharks. They swim up a tributary or up a little stream into this freshwater lake. Now, any of, any of you know which species of shark can live in freshwater? Bull sharks. They're very aggressive, very dangerous sharks. Bull sharks are the only ones that can live in freshwater, and so Lake Nicaragua supposedly has bull sharks. I did not see one, but I am not one to swim voluntarily in these waters either. 
So uh, I did not put my hand in the water to test. I did not uh, tempt fate in any way. Nevertheless, we're, we're, we're eating lunch here on this gorgeous island in this lake with this beautiful uh, little lagoon area, and there, there are lily pads all over it. And there was the most beautiful rusty red bird with a long bill hopping along the pads, poking in the water, pulling at the roots, and feeding along this thing. We watched this bird enjoy for 20 minutes while we ate our lunch. Beautiful, beautiful bird. And this is what's coming to us, this question. If God can clothe a bird so beautifully, why do we worry about what we're going to wear? Why do, why do we worry? This is not a complicated passage, and I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence with the simplicity of this. But where it breaks down for us is that the concept isn't difficult to grasp in terms of our intellects. It's difficult to internalize in terms of the way we want to live our outlook and our emotions. The challenge to you in this passage is not intellectual. The challenge in this passage is a challenge to your faith, and it's a challenge of practicality. Who do you trust? Who do you lean on? Who do you believe? I would love to let the most informed of you speak, so maybe you can help me in this segment this last week, I can't keep up with it. I can't keep track of all that's been going on. But am I right? Has this been like the worst week ever in terms of the stock market? Any, can anybody confirm that for me? Yes, okay. Catastrophic. Aren't we down some 32% or 3% from the high uh, in the um, Dow Jones industrials? It's now 40%. Oh, I'm even poorer than I thought. 40% down. Are they not saying that the end may not be in sight? Is, are there some people out there? You know, I really envy those of you smart and informed enough to have gotten out of all of this three months ago or uh, to have moved to treasuries and securities that were more conservative six months ago, or I really admire those of you who are going to snatch up all of these two and three dollar stocks that were trading at seventy dollars a few months ago, who have the courage to invest in what looks like a failed company, um, and you will be greatly rewarded. If, if you're really good at that, maybe you could see me Monday or Tuesday, <laughs> help your pastor retire someday, um, otherwise it's going to be pretty sad, pretty sad. Anyway, that little aside, um, it's been catastrophic, really. And hasn't our government been debating back and forth whether or not a bailout is a good idea? Is that too simple a way of putting it, or is that about it? It's a rescue, yes. And isn't it true that this last part of this last week, they finally decided to purchase, basically, stock in America's financial corporations? Isn't that how the government finally solved the, the step forward? And is it true that interest rates have fallen in response to this again? Okay, I'm not trying to, like, be too simple or bore you here. I just, it's really 
kind of unsettling when you look at the picture, isn't it? And then you realize that a monstrously strong economy like China's is tied to ours and that their markets have been fluctuating, that Japan and Korea are suffering, that Europe is feeling the effects, reduced tourism, reduced uh, purchases of European cars and products, that American car manufacturers are going out of business. Plants are closing. People are losing jobs. The unemployment rate has gone from the 4% range somewhere a year ago nationally to over 5 and in some areas the unemployment rate is as high as 8%. States like Ohio. Have you heard that too or am I just getting it wrong? Because I don't... I know you'll tell me. I, I get it wrong from time to time. I appreciate that. You said uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and I think you meant Ashurbanipal or something. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'm trying to keep my, my facts straight. In the midst of this turmoil, and if, of course, you're, if you're lucky enough not to be invested, I don't know if that's really lucky, but uh, if some of you are saying, you know, this doesn't affect me. I don't have a retirement. I don't have a 403B or 401K or... Roth IRA or any of that stuff. This doesn't affect me. Do you worry that you might get laid off or that your job might not be there? And how might you pay that mortgage or support that family? These are really hard and scary times. And yet I want to challenge you. Little, little refreshment from last week. Last week we did an exercise together that illustrated the economics the way in which economics flow in the kingdom of God. Some of you weren't here, so I'd like to repeat that exercise. Briefly, just take a breath in and hold it for a few seconds. Now, if you held it for a few seconds, you could begin to feel your heart beating more prominently in your chest, right? Oxygen wasn't flowing in and out as fast, and you could start to feel your heart rate pick up. And How many of you think you could have done that indefinitely? Okay, so the reality quotient in this room is still very high. I'm glad to see that. Now breathe out. Ah, You've got to get that air back in there because there's nothing to exchange. Not even the old air in your lungs can be recycled there if you've emptied it pretty good. Now you have a much shorter span to hold breath, but you have to take in, don't you? Now let's just do this together. That's the economy of God. God is constantly breathing into our lives and constantly asking us to breathe out of our lives. We receive, we give. We receive, we give. We receive, we give. We've all had periods in our lives, I believe, there may be a few stalwart exceptions, but all of us in our lives have thought for a minute, wait a minute, I've been breathing out too much. I need to breathe in and hold it a little more. Usually we find that that doesn't work. And some of us have been um, touched by something or in a phase of life where we're just breathing out, it seems, all the time and we can scarcely catch our breath and we're just really dying for a full deep breath of air that will just help us 
to relax again. And sometimes we do that. But in the economy of God's world, we breathe in and we breathe out. And that is the truth financially. Hard times? Oh, I better not support church budget. I know you thought that a couple weeks ago because we got like $600. I'm going to have to close my doors in three months on that schedule. Staff will be gone. I'll be calling the conference and saying, what do you want me to do? I mean, you know, this, is, this doesn't work. Somebody's holding their breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry, because it's not going to add to your wealth, to your height, to the length of your life, to your fortunes. Worry will do nothing for you, but separate you from the joy of Christ and the love of God. You could have said amen to that one. Awesome, okay. Turn to Matthew 6. And let's look at this from a different angle. Jesus really hits all of this in the Beatitudes. Lorraine read today from Matthew six twenty-five and following. I want to read the previous section, 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Tragic piece of news last week, this week. A man shot his wife, shot his kids, shot himself, and left note of his despair. They were not working. Their mortgage was overdue. Financial pressures were mounting. Their assets had disappeared. Things were collapsing around them. And it was too much to bear. Any of you hear that story? We'll hear more of those, I'm afraid, in months to come. No hope. No hope. No belief, no faith, no foundation, no community, no encouragement to understand that God was still God and that God would take care of them. It's not hard to get there. In the crash of 29, more than a few men put pistols in their mouths and pulled the trigger. More than a few men jumped out of their high-rise buildings with their sumptuous offices, broke and in despair and unwilling to start over again. I distress to see the people of God suffer. And we're not exempt. You're going to lose money. Some of you may lose a home. We may have bankruptcies in our congregation. There may be difficult times ahead. But the challenge of kingdom life and pursuit 
is to pursue first the kingdom and to put our treasure in heaven. Not to bank on the certainties or uncertainties, as it turns out to be, of resources here. You see, we, we don't have uh, little sacks of gold in our little homes where thieves can break in and the gold disappears. What we have instead is corporate raiders and men paid $30 million a year with stock options and bonuses to manage giganto corporations who do trillions of dollars worth of business and invite you and I to take what we can as a piece of that business by providing capital at the risk that they will run off with it. Now, that's not a very sophisticated analysis of part of our problem, but I want to assure you that it is part of our problem. Bolster the stock, dump it, the stock, stock sinks, somebody walks away with millions and the average shareholder is left with a company in which honest reporting wasn't part of the deal and in which the stocks are worth nothing. That's a story that happens again and again in America. We've put treasure where moths can eat it, where rust can diminish the value, where thieves can break in and steal. And Jesus says, you know, if that's where your heart is, if that's where your energies are, if your whole life purpose is to amass a fortune so that you can be comfortable it's going to be tough for you when all of that goes away. So I want to invite you to something else. I want to invite you to invest your, some of your time and some of your talent and some of your energy in kingdom life. I want to challenge you to make that your first pursuit, really. I want to challenge you to give yourself to Christian community. I want to challenge you to participate in the economy of God. Participate with me. I want to challenge you to give as you've received and to receive with grace and joy as it's God's pleasure to provide for his children. Man, you're really helping me today. Thank you. Love it. Verse 22 seems to go a whole nother direction. It's like this little pericope right in the middle of this section that just is almost an aside if you read it. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the, your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light then within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, I've not been able to do a terrific exegesis of this. I'll give you some erudite and scholarly read on what exactly is being said here. But what I have gathered is this. When you can see clearly, you can process what the light gives you to process. When you are blind and cannot receive light, you live in total darkness or partial darkness. If we move from light and dark in this sense, seeing and not seeing is an analogy, then if the light you receive is nothing, 
but rather is darkness. How sad for you. Your whole life is darkness. So I guess the way I would kind of bring this into the conversation we're having is to say that if we fail to recognize what God is is inviting us to participate in and what he's giving us as a pattern for living and the worry that he's seeking to take out of the equation for us, if we're not a part of that light and we're living rather in some kind of ignorance or darkness or fear, how terrible that is. Because the moth does come. Rust does destroy. The thief steals. Treasure is fleeting. And treasure is lost and gained. And then we come back. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't think if Jesus were here, looking at our economy, understanding our urbanization, specialization, he was a smart man. He would have understood all of this just fine. I don't know that he would tell us not to earn a living, not to participate in the economy at large, not to plan for our futures and our retirements, not to save a little. I don't think he'd tell us any of those things. I think he would still tell us to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. I think he would still remind us that the fortunes of our earth and our country and our society come and go, rise and fall. I think he would remind us in light of that that the consistency rests not in what we invest in, in this earth, but the consistency rests in the kingdom of God and the constancy of that kingdom and the definitive nature of his lordship and his sovereignty. And I think he would remind us that worry, in an age of worry, still does us no good. It hasn't taken a 40% loss and made it a 20% loss. It hasn't taken a bad job outlook and made it a good one. Worry has not put food on anybody's table. To the contrary, worry and anxiety in this market has driven it harder and lower and faster. You realize that, right? The lack of consumer confidence in and of itself contributes to the crisis. Does that make sense? When people get worried and they... Okay, that's it. We are not buying another thing for a year. Okay, durable goods and services not purchased. Somebody not able to sell what they've manufactured. Somebody getting laid off of work because there's a surplus of goods. Services not needed. Okay, somebody's out of a job. 
Now somebody's not earning money, not buying groceries, not buying fuel, not buying other things. That goes down. Costs go up. Shortages start to occur regionally. I'm not an economics person, so don't listen to what I have to say about it, but that, that simple bit is so true. Worry makes it worse. And Jesus would remind us that in the end, if we're people of God, we're people of faith and people of hope and people of courage and people of trust and people who've learned the economy and ecology of God. People who can breathe in and breathe out and look out for one another and take care of kingdom business. I pray it so. We're going to take you up on that, Lord, that you will indeed take care of us. And we praise you for it. Bless this, your congregation, this day, I pray in Jesus' name.